the goal of the series has been, and the challenge of the series has been to live intentionally. But the last two words is the key. Not in, live intentionally so that I feel comfortable or I'm happy or I don't feel guilty. It, the goal is to live intentionally for Jesus Christ. And when we put that in place and we set that as a foundation, our prayer goes back to what it says in the book of Romans, chapter number 10, verse 1, which is a prayer that you and I can emulate also. And it says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And we read that and we see our unsafe friends and neighbors and school colleagues and work colleagues and we say, I know that they need to be saved and I want them to be saved, but I have no idea what to say. I have no idea how to take this to the next level and actually have a spiritual conversation that is intentional. We'll talk about how the doctors lost yesterday. That's easy conversation, probably a lot of those conversations this year. Don't worry, I'm an Eagles fan. I'm anticipating a hard day also. And it's easy to talk about those things, but you know what? To turn it around to something spiritual, some, for some reason, our heart starts to beat, and we get nervous as if somehow that's not something that God is doing in our life, and He's the one that's going to give us the right words at the right time. But in order to give us some proper tools for the job, that's where we go back to the Word of God and say, what does the Word of God teach us? The real question is this. What does a person need to know and believe to be saved? Not, does a person need to be religious? Does a person need to, to go to church? Does a person need to look this way or act this way or give or do whatever it is? It comes down to what do they need to know and what do they need to believe in order to be saved? Our principle is this. The Bible teaches Jesus' good news for my life. We all go back to the Bible. Now, if you've been part of our church family for very long, that's not a surprise answer. But it's something we need to constantly be reminding ourselves. We need to go back to the Bible. And we need to preach this to ourselves personally and personally begin to live this out. What has God done in your life so that you know that you have eternal life? In the book of 1 John, chapter number 5, verse 13. The old man John, as a grandfather to his children in the faith, says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. What? That you may know that you have eternal life. We preach that to ourselves. And then from that, we have the honor and the privilege and responsibility to preach that to other people now. Now, what are we supposed to say? What does a person need to know? And what does a person need to believe? Throughout the scriptures, we see this laid out, particularly in the books that are written by a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. He was a tremendous missionary and evangelist. And he wrote in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. I'm going to read several verses to you. And we're going to lay out something that he told this church in a real town called Corinth, who was going through some serious issues as a church. There were some moral failings in the church. There was fighting within the church. And he says, let me go back and remind you about what has brought us together. And it's not our sports teams. It's not our heritage. It's not our skin color, our academics. It comes down to Jesus. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 15, the first 11 verses, and then we're going to jump straight into some application for your life and for my life. 
And imagine you're hearing this for the first time. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Quick side note. That being saved is not, I got saved 20 years ago and it's all done. It's a continual working in our life where God is daily, moment by moment, millisecond by millisecond, choosing to continue to hold us in our salvation. We are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And then he goes on and says, let me remind you what you actually were taught. Goes on in verse number three. For I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. In accordance with the Scripture literally means to fulfill the Scriptures. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And He goes on and says, let me tell you some eyewitnesses that saw this for themselves. They saw that Jesus was dead and buried and rose again. Verse 5, And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as one untimely born, in other words, I was too young, the Apostle Paul was younger than all the rest, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and this grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether it was I or they, and this last line I have underlined on the screen, because this is the real key of why I read all those verses to come to this one line. So, here's the key. We preach, and so you believed. What does a person need to know, and what does a person need to believe in order to be saved? He went back, and he says, let me tell you about Jesus. That's what people need to know. In your bulletin, but also on the screen, there's some circles, some orange circles. Eight weeks ago, I shared these with you. And this is a very simple diagram of God's design, which is where we start. We start off with God's design. He has a perfect design for mankind. But because of sin and our selfishness and our self-centeredness, we have a broken relationship with God. And as a result of that, we have the brokenness of mankind. And we're living in that brokenness. And we try many different ways of trying to cope before we acknowledge our need of God. And through that brokenness, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus' gospel. We find that through repentance and belief. The most basic question a person can ask is, what's my purpose in life? Many people seem seemingly just exist year after year, decade after decade, without really knowing what is the meaning of life. The goal is to go and be in God's design. How did God create you? What did he create you for? 
We now live in a broken world because of sin in our life. But through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, we can return to God's perfect design. And that's a very simplistic outline. And theologians write volumes of books to explain what I briefly just scratched the surface of a few seconds ago. We think about who we are as individuals. And there's a silly story about a boy who was being mean to all the other kids in his class. And he was making ugly faces at all these kids. And he was teasing them and, of course, upsetting the girls. And wise teacher Mrs. Smith, observing all the students and how, how little Bobby was acting, walks over to Bobby and begins to impart wisdom to him. Rather than shouting, stop it, she thought, I'll just take a different tact with Bobby. And Bobby continues to make ugly faces even at her. And she says, you know, Bobby, when I was a child, I was told when I make ugly faces, my face might stick like that. And Bobby, being very quick-witted, says, well, you can't say you weren't warned. (laughs) Now, we never heard from Bobby ever again. Once you know that there's God's design and you know that we live in a broken world and we've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have a choice of how we respond. And in a similar way, we can say, you can't say that you weren't warned. So we're going to jump straight into the scripture here. And it begins with repent and believe. I'm going to introduce that word repent, and it may be a familiar word to you already, but it's a good reminder for us. Repentance is literally a changing of mind. I was going one direction, and I found out that I was going the wrong direction, so now I have a choice of how I'm going to live. Am I going to continue going the wrong direction, hoping it will become the right direction one day, or do I repent of it and turn around and then go the right direction? A number of years ago, I was driving with my family, and I had young children at the time across West Texas. And West Texas is much like out near Kalgoorlie, long stretches of road, and very little turnoffs for very long distances. And I was driving where I knew there was a small turnoff I needed to take, and it was off to the right. And I was driving north, and I was like, boy, I've been driving north for a long time. And the children were really happy at that time. And we had a long drive ahead of us, like an eight-hour drive that day. I realized after a while, I've been driving north for way too long, like an hour longer than I should. I should be heading that way, and I'm still going north. And then I pulled over to the side and got out the map. And I recognized that I had to turn around. Now, the hard thing was, before I pulled over to look at the map, I had a moral dilemma. Do I tell my wife? And do I admit that I've been going the wrong way? The map simply confirmed what I already really knew inside. And I had the moral dilemma of, you know what, maybe if I just continue to drive north, it will eventually turn around and I'll end up eight hours that way. Maybe it will. And my wife is so kind and so forgiving that I pulled over, explained what I did, and rather than shouting at me, help, tell me how, how dumb I was, she goes, oh, well. And we just turned around and drove an hour s- south to get that turn off and kept driving and added an extra two hours to our trip. Repentance is a choice. You don't accidentally repent. 
we jump straight in here. In your bulletin, you're going to see some two questions. What's the solution? And then the second question we'll see is, what's my response? First of all, what is the solution? We have a price that was paid, the cost of my sin. Our sin had a great cost. In the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 12, it talks about the fact that we are all sinners. We've all done wrong. And we don't carry that with a, a badge on our, our chest and going, I'm so proud that I'm a sinner. But it's the reality. And we must admit that we are sinners. And it says in Romans 5, 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death is spread to all men, because all sinned. And sorry, ladies, that's mankind and men, not just men that are sinners. And during the ancient times, once God set up the sacrificial system, He originally set it up through Adam and Eve and set that system up from the very beginning of time. But then later on, there was a temple that was built. And you as a church sent me to Israel. In fact, just five weeks ago, I was in Israel. It's kind of funny to think. And there's a picture on the screen of the Temple Mount. And early on a Sunday morning, we walked up to the Temple Mount. And that particular picture on the screen is taken from the southwest corner. And that's like the backside of where the temple was. And now there is an Islamic mosque called the Dome of the Rock on that spot where the temple would have stood. And every single day, there were sacrifices that were being made. Every single day, they would have the priest performing the sacrifices for the people, but also individual family members would be bringing sacrifices. And you read in the Old Testament about times when they sacrificed literally thousands and tens of thousands of animals on one day. And I've always wondered, how do they do that? So I asked our tour guide, and he said they have no idea how many, but on the opposite side to where that picture is, is the, was the main altar in the, in the front of the temple. But on either side running along, there, there was altars all the way along there in order for the sacrifices. So there was many, many hundreds of sacrifices taking place at one time. That was news to me that I just learned a few weeks ago. Thank you for sending me on the trip so I can learn things. There was some channels that would run through, because that's a great deal of blood and mess, and channels that would run through across directly straight from where that picture is taken down into the valley down below. And it would take all the blood and all the other water they'd wash through down away from there. And the sacrificial system wasn't set up where you just give God your leftovers. Like, I have this really old you that's not producing anymore, and it's no good, and it's naggy, and it bites me whenever I go in its pen. Now you're going to go to God. That's not how it's set up at all. You don't just send off your old sheep that are no good anymore, that are too tough to eat, and give those to God to sacrifice. You would give your very best. The first of the flock, the one that says without blemish or spot, 
And they would go through and they would check over these lambs particularly and make sure there was nothing wrong with them, no, no, no blemishes on them. And then they were able and worthy to be sacrificed to God. And because all those little lambs were pictures of Jesus Christ. As it says in the book of 1 Peter 1.19, the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So often in our mindset, we have a good enough mentality. As a kid growing up, I grew up attending church, and my dad was a pastor of the church, and our church in Perth had many vacuum cleaners, and all of them were donated. And I, as I was thinking through giving God your best, this illustration came to my mind this week. People would have old vacuums that were no longer good enough for them, so they'd go out and buy a new vacuum. And rather than, than throwing that away, they would say, you know what, it's good enough for the church. And the church would have a large space, like three or four times bigger than this room, in order to vacuum, and we would have these horrible vacuums that would hardly suck at all. You'd go four times over because somebody was donating this to the church. And because they donated it, you could never throw it away because it was now sacred. And we have this mentality of it's good enough. God did not do that with you and I. He paid the price that was his very best. He gave himself. He gave his own son, the sinless lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world. God gave his very best. He didn't give us his leftovers. He didn't give us his good enough. He gave us Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 9 and chapter 10, it relates our salvation and the joy of our salvation through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made on the cross and through his precious blood that he shed. He contrasts that with the Old Testament form of sacrificial system. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And it goes on to chapter number 10. And it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins, but... When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Something we have that's absolutely beautiful is we no longer have to sacrifice animals to symbolize and to picture the covering of our sins. We have a once and for all sacrifice that was given to us by God through Jesus Christ. We no longer have to do that any longer God sent his son as a human being to live here on earth, to live a perfect life, to take the sins of you and me and the rest of the world upon his shoulders. And as that perfect sacrifice before God, he paid the price that you and I could never pay in a million and billion lifetimes. He paid the cost of our sins. If any other way could have worked, God would have done something different. But God did the only way for you and I, and he paid the price, the cost of our sin. And that price that's been paid has been paid 
in full. That's a wonderful gift of God. It's paid in full. Jesus has already taken care of your sin problem when he died on the cross. God did that for us because he loves us and he wants to have a relationship with us through Jesus Christ. A gift by definition is always free. As I was typing this out on my computer, I typed out free gift and word gave me a little squiggly line underneath and made the suggestion that I didn't need to say free because gift alone was good enough, which I thought that was made a good illustration. Because the free gift of God that we have is a wonderful thing to enjoy. A number of years ago, when I was living in the U.S., the church that my dad and mom are at this Sunday, and my dad's preaching at on, on Sunday, is called Winter Haven Baptist Church, and Pastor Mark Hodges is my pastor. In fact, he's going to most likely come visit us in August this year. I worked with the church there for five years, and we would go out to eat regularly, and he would never let me pay. And it's okay to be a guest once or twice, but after the fifth and sixth time, you got I got to step up and pay. But he would never let me. And he would be sneaky about it, where he would go and he would pay the bill before I any, knew anything was happening at all, which is kind of nice. Sometimes I would trick him. I would excuse myself very early on in the meal, go and pay the bill before he would know anything, and then sit down. And at the end, it was wonderful joy to see him ask for the check to come, and they go, don't worry, it's already been taken care of. And he would look at me like, and I would go, yes, I paid this time. Of course, I always did it with the cheap restaurants too. Something's wonderful when you hear the words, it's been paid. It's been paid in full. You don't owe anything at all. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God shows his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and being made alive in the spirit. It's Christ who bridges the gap between God and mankind. He's the one who makes the bridge so that we can come to God. It's not through our good works. It's not through our payment. It's through what he did through Jesus Christ. Back to that passage we read in the very beginning in, in 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 3 and 4, it says, For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received. And here's what it says. That Christ died for, and I want you to personalize that. Put your own name in there. Christ died for Michael's. Put your name in there. Michael's sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he's raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. God has done everything necessary for you and I to come to know Christ as Savior. And we ask that question, what does a person need to know and what do they need to believe in order to be saved? They need to know that God has a design for them. They need to know that there's sin. They need to also know the wonderful truth of the gospel. What are we being saved from? It's from the penalty of our brokenness and our sinfulness. 
And when we share that with people, God will give you the right words to say at the right time. I would encourage you, practice. Memorize these Bible verses. Put them into your mind and put them into your, your heart. And we've given you some tools over the course of the series in order to help you along in your, your journey of sharing your faith. But the real thought behind this is it demands a response. Anytime you hear, I love you, it demands a response. It demands a response when someone gives you a gift of how you receive that gift. You have the choice to reject it or to in receive it and enjoy it. So the second question is, what's my response? What does God want us to do? And there's four steps here. The letters, it's A, B, A, C. And something I find really helpful, I just remember A, B, C and, and an extra A in there. And then it just, it works. A, B, A, C. I use this outline all the time. First of all, we have to admit that we are sinners. And it's not rote where we go, admit I'm a sinner. It is actually just conversational. We start talking about the fact that we live in a broken world and the fact that, that, that our sin has separated us from God and His purpose and separated us from other people. And it becomes something of a natural conversation because we, we can all admit that we are sinners. But without admitting that we have a problem, we're never going to seek a solution. If you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you, I have some bad news, you have a disease, you can deny it all you want, but it doesn't change the fact that you have a disease. We have a disease. All mankind has a disease. And it says in the book of Romans, chapter 3, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. First of all, we have to admit that we are sinners. And to be honest with you, that's an easy conversation starter. It really is. You think, oh, that's so judgmental. No, it's not because people know, the unbeliever knows they do wrong. We know as people that God's given us a conscience to know that we are sinners. The second is this, believe. But believe in what? Because there's lots of things that we see in our society, just believe. And we have the mentality as a, as a society that we just cross our fingers and really, really hope and believe in something, then it will be. And people also often say, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe, just be sincere. And there's so many different beliefs. So the Bible gives us a, some, some truth in that what are we actually supposed to believe? We don't just believe in God. Because there's lots of people that believe in a creator or believe in a God. But the Bible is very specific. It's a long little sentence there, but it says, Believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins, that he rose again, and that he is alive. Uh, maybe a more simplistic way of saying that is, believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and believe that Jesus did what he said he was going to do. Two things. Jesus is who he says he is. Let's look at the book of Romans, chapter number 10, verses 9 and 10. This verse here, I would encourage you to memorize, particularly verse number 9. I personally use this verse often when talking with an unbeliever because it lays out exactly what we're supposed to do. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's the first part, is Jesus who he says he is. 
The philosopher C.S. Lewis talks about if Jesus is either God or he's a lunatic. If Jesus is who he says he is, that first part, if he really is God, that changes my view of absolutely everything else that he says for us to do and to believe. It says that confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Is Jesus God? The second part goes on and says, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the last line is beautiful. You will be saved. I love that definitive statement there. It doesn't say you might hope to be or you, you wish to be or maybe someday you may achieve. It is you will be saved. He says if you believe in your heart. You see, belief, true belief, is not just saying the right words. Anyone can say some sort of abracadabra words as a prayer or as a phrase and say, I've said what I'm supposed to say, but I have no belief in my heart. That verse there breaks that right away and breaks that apart because if Jesus really is God and we confess that and we believe that Jesus is God, it changes the way that we view of what he's done. He really has died on the cross. He really did rise from the dead for our sins. And it goes on in verse number 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's only through Jesus Christ. So we have admit that we're sinners, believe that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again and he's alive today. And number three is accept. So it's A-B-A, accept by faith God's free gift of salvation. Ephesians chapter number two, verses eight and nine are tremendous two verses. Again, I would encourage you to memorize them because these two verses lay out our response any time that we are given a gift, it demands a response. The, mo- the thing that I think about when I think of this is when I asked my wife to marry me and how terrifying that was. And the only answer that I wanted when I was down on one knee, I didn't want to hear maybe, or I didn't want to hear that's nice, or I'll think about it. The only answer I wanted was a definitive happy yes, which after much convincing, I got. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Our relationship with God is restored, not because of what we do, but on the basis of what Jesus Christ has already done. He's already given us a gift that is bought, it's paid for, and it's been delivered. And I want you to think about that. If someone has a gift for you that is bought, and it's paid for, and it's been delivered. The only way you're going to enjoy that gift is not by a cognitively saying, yes, I believe there's a gift there for me. The only way you're going to enjoy that gift is actually by accepting it for yourself. And when I've talked with people about this in the past, we have to work through that mindset a little bit because people say oh, there's a gift there. What do you have to do to enjoy that gift? They'll say, um, say thank you. And yes, that's true. And we'll talk about that in just a few moments' time. But it's actually very simple. 
If there's a gift under the tree, you don't have to tell your kids to not open it. If anything, you tell your kids on Christmas morning, stop, don't open that present yet. God has a gift for you and you and you and you and all mankind. And he says, I'm waiting for you to accept that free gift of salvation. And it goes on. It's the now what? This is our fourth, which is the commit, this, the C, the A-B-A-C, the commit my life to Jesus. This is post-salvation. The first three are actually talking about our salvation, admitting we're sinners, believing that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, accepting his free gift of salvation. That's salvation. And all these wonderful things take place at the moment of salvation. The commit is the now what? And if you already know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're living in the number four. You're living, commit my life to Jesus, inviting him to be the master of my life. That's not to earn your salvation. That's the result of your salvation. So therefore, when I personally pray in the morning, I, I don't pray, God, please save me. That's already been done. I personally pray, God, thank you for saving me. I don't wake up in the morning next to my wife and say, Tammy, do you still love me? I say, I love you. And I wait for that response, which I always get. It's a statement of fact in our life. And as a result of that, we live life differently. As a result of our salvation, now we can joyfully commit our lives to Jesus Christ and invite him to be the master of our life. That's where people begin to serve. That's where people begin to move forward with baptism and financial giving and acts of service and just regular attendance in church. Everyone's welcome, but really the local church is made up of people that are already know Jesus Christ as their Savior. In the book of John, chapter number 1, verses 12 and 13, it says, But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, we have the wonderful promise back in the book of Romans, chapter number 10, verse 13. It gives us this promise. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what does a person need to know? A person needs to know that God has a design for them, has a purpose for them. A person needs to know that we live in a broken world because of sin, but there's a wonderful truth of Jesus' gospel. And as you go out this week, you will have opportunity in some form to begin sharing out the A, B, A, C, the admit, the believe, the accept, the commit. This week, you're going to have an opportunity to share the gospel. The very, very beginning of this series of being and living intentional. We started off with this prayer. And I challenged every single person to think of a person that they know that is yet to believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior. Is currently an unbeliever. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Nothing will give me more joy than to open up the Bible and to show you out of the Bible how you can place your trust upon Christ as your Savior so you can know Him as your personal Savior.